Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Be patient with me today. I've had an extremely bad cold, and uh, but hopefully I'll be fine. I've got a throat lozenger in my mouth, so you'll see my mouth doing weird things. That's because of that. But um, anyway, <clears throat> today we're continuing our study in Romans, and we, you know, if we did verse by verse through the entire book of Romans, it would take a year minimum to go through that whole book. So I'm picking and choosing certain sections that I think are beneficial, and um, sorry, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to set that right there. Um, it's gr- it, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but today, I want to talk about something about the benefits of believing, and because we have to arm ourselves with truth in order to engage this life to navigate this life. You know, there, there's enough lies out there that have just enough truth in it that make them sound authentic. And if we don't know the truth, then we don't know how to discern those lies. And, and so we set ourselves up for falling into traps when we don't know God's word. And that's why we have to study it. That's why we have to know it. So the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5, I want you to imagine this as just being one big gift to you, all wrapped up in a package, and on it is the name from Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have such tremendous benefits. And so Romans 5 is full of incredible life-changing truth. And Paul is excited. He's upbeat. In fact, he says several times, rejoice. Uh, That's a Greek word that literally means boast, brag, get excited, tell everybody about it, be happy about this. And so Paul says, here's some things you ought to really be happy about. And so he just explained in the previous chapter what it means to be a Christian. And in this section on salvation, now he's talking about the results of being a Christian. And so these are incredible results, and I want you to cling to these. I I want you to appreciate these. I want you to live your life by the fact that these things are true. So the very first one, a benefit for believing in Jesus Christ is that you have peace with God. You have peace with holy God. In verse 1, therefore, since we have, made, we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Paul is basically summarizing the first four chapters of Romans. And, and in light of everything that he has said up until now, that we're sinful, that uh, we cannot make it on our own, that God saved us, and that we don't deserve it, Uh, we cannot earn it, we can't work hard for it, but simply through faith in Christ, we can have this, we can have his grace. So in light of all of that, he's now saying, 
you have been justified. Now, one of the best ways I know to understand what it means to be justified is this idea, it's just as if you had never sinned. You have been justified through Christ with holy God, which means it's just as if you had never sinned. I don't know about you, but that sounds awful good to me. Because Satan loves to beat me up about my sins. And God looks at me as if I had never sinned. Not because of me, but because of his son, Jesus Christ. I have been justified. And so as we talk about this, it's really more than just forgiveness. It means that God looks at you as if you're absolutely perfect in his eyes. And it's his eyes that matters, right? It's his eyes that matter. So <clears throat> the key pronoun in these passages we're gonna find is this we, uh, and he uses this over and over again. Uh, and what Paul says this and apply, what Paul is saying in these verses, even though he was talking to the Christians in Rome, it applies to every believer. So it applies to every one of you who've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. These verses apply to you. <clears throat> and this applies just as much to you as it did to the Christians in the first century. So you have peace in, with God. That means the war is over. There's no more struggle. God's not mad at me. I'm not in rebellion. We're not fighting each other. We're in harmony with holy God. And the amazing thing is that God absolutely holds nothing against you anymore. Can you get excited about that? I mean, isn't that something to say, oh, this, just, this just relieves me. This takes a weight off of me. To have peace with God means I can now have a peace of mind. <clears throat> and that this peace is not based on performance. It's not based, it's based purely on my faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a lasting peace. It's not a peace that is wishy-washy. It's not a peace that can ever be taken away from me because Jesus can never be taken away from me. And he is the prince of peace. So I have peace with holy God. The second good news is you have access to God. Total access. <clears throat> Verse two. <clears throat> because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So let's look at the first part of that verse. So because of our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ has brought us, he brought us access to God, he brought us into the presence of holy God, he brought us in this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. So you have access to God, not in the future, 
But right now, when you pray to receive Christ, you are granted access to holy God that began then and will last for eternity. So it's a here and now. And it's next week and the week after. It's for the rest of your life. It's for the rest of eternity that you have access to holy God. Now, access, that word is used in a way where it describes one person who brings two people together. So Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he brought holy God and sinful you together. You now have access to holy God because when God looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. And you have total access to him. Now, you know, the typical Roman would have never had access to Caesar. It just wouldn't have happened. And the Jews understood this in that they didn't have access to God. You know, in the Old Testament, they had the temple, and there was a wall around the temple, and that was to keep the Gentiles out. If a Gentile got past that wall, they were to be killed immediately. And even though the Jews could come inside that wall, there was still a holy of holies with this massive curtain around it where the Ark of the Covenant was, and they were not allowed in there. No, No Jew was allowed in there except the high priest once a year only after he'd gone through all this ceremonial cleansing. And uh, even then, if he went in there unprepared, he would have been struck dead by one of God's angels. I mean, the Jews, they knew they had access to the courtyard, but they did not have access to holy God. So this is a total paradigm shift that we have access to holy God. And um, in Luke chapter 23... The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly, this is when Jesus is on the cross, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. So when Jesus died, that curtain that kept the Jews out, not just the Gentiles, but the Jews themselves, God's chosen people, it kept everybody out, and now that curtain was torn Because of Jesus, we're allowed in. We now have access to holy God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a sacrifice. We can talk to God directly. We have 24-hour, seven days a week access. Ephesians 2.14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So there's peace. You know, during the Civil War, believe it or not, back in those days, Anybody could go to the White House and stand in a long line, and maybe they might get to see the president. And so there was always a long line waiting to see President Lincoln. Some people got access. A lot of people didn't. Most people didn't. 
and uh, they had to have a justifiable reason to be there before they'd be let in. But uh, that's, I mean, that's something that wouldn't happen today and wouldn't happen in, in any of our generation, but that was something that could happen back then. <clears throat> and there was a particular Union soldier who was just so distraught and discouraged, and he just felt like if he could talk to President Lincoln, everything, it would make things right. And, and so he spent two weeks trying to get into the White House to see the president. He just was not allowed in. And one day, the president's son, Tad, happened to come out, and he saw this soldier, and he was talking to him, and he asked him what was up, and he said, well, I'm trying to see your dad. And the president's son said, well, come with me. I can get you in. And he took him straight to the president. What a wonderful picture of what Jesus did for us. He's come to you. He said, hey, I know how to get you in. I know how to, you can have access to my father. It's through me. And not only did he allow us to come in, God the Father decided to make you part of the family. He said, I, I'm going to adopt you as one of my own. So you're just like the family. You have all privileges and rights as being one of my children. Our relationship determines our access to God. And through Jesus, we have a family relationship with holy God. Now, I'm spending time on this because Satan loves to keep you in the dark about this truth. A lot of people think, well, I've just messed up too many times now. God's done with me. I've, I've struggled with that same sin so many times, I don't even feel like I can confess it anymore. Have you ever been in that place? That's not a fun place to be, is it? When you feel like you've confessed something too many times that you don't think you can even confess it anymore because why would God listen? Satan loves for you to believe that. He loves to keep you in the dark about this access that you have. He loves to whisper in your ear, who do you think you are? You know what you did. You know how many times you mess up. Why in the world do you think God has time for you? And see, when you don't know the truth, you fall for the lie. And the truth is, through Jesus Christ, not your own merits, through Jesus Christ, not anything you did, through Jesus Christ and you saying yes to him, you now have permanent access to God the Father. The door is never closed. See, Jesus understands your needs he understands your desires. He understands your struggles because he's been through it. Hebrews chapter four. So then since we have a great high priest, Jesus, 
who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He's the only one that didn't. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I like that. Come boldly. Not arrogant. Not haughty. But boldly. That means with confidence. Let us come with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and, he will, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Now do you see why Satan wants you to be in the dark about that? He does not want you to experience that grace. He does not want you to, to experience that mercy. And that's why he tries to keep you convinced you don't have any business talking to God. He's done with you. Such a lie. Ephesians 3.12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of who Jesus is and who you are because of who Jesus is. You are who you are with God because of who Jesus is. Number three, we have a hope in life. The second part of that second verse, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory, sharing God's glory. Those three words are hard to grasp. The full extent of what those three words mean. You see, in the New Testament, hope does not mean wishful thinking. And usually when we use the word hope, we mean it as wishful thinking. Uh, you know, I hope I have a good day tomorrow. I hope I get that job. I hope, and you can go down your list. That's, that's like wishful thinking, but when we use the word hope in the New Testament, it doesn't mean that at all. In the New Testament, hope means confidence. Hope means I'm confident it will work out. So we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We have a hope, a confidence in life. So hope, I mean, it's essential to living. We cannot live without it. We have to have it. I mean, why should, Christ, why should Christians be so happy? Because of our hope, our confidence, because we know what the future is. So a third benefit for being a believer is that no matter what happens, no matter how many problems or trials you go through, you know what the ultimate in outcome is. 
you've read the last couple of chapters of Revelation, you know how it ends. You know how it ends. And you're a part of the ending. We have a hope, a confidence. You know, the opposite of hope is pessimism. We have a hope and therefore we rejoice. But I want to tell you, listen to this, because I'm, I'm about to step on some toes. A pessimistic Christian, a pessimistic Christian is an insult to holy God. Did you hear that one? A pessimistic Christian is an insult to holy God. Because a pessimistic Christian is saying, I have no hope. I don't believe it can work out. I don't believe God is in control. I don't believe in the future things that the Bible teaches. God says we can rejoice in hope. And the word rejoice means to boast. And the most hopeful people in the world, it's us believers. So this phrase, sharing God's glory, well, what is the glory of God? I mean, it's God's character. It's God's purpose. I mean, this is, I don't think this is in your notes, but one of the most exciting verses in the Bible is Colossians 3, 4. It says, and when Christ, who is your life, when Christ is revealed to the whole world, you, we, will share in all his glory. He's not saving a piece of his glory for you. He is sharing all of his glory with you. Now, if you know that, how in the world can you be pessimistic as a follower of Jesus? You're going to share in all of the glory of Jesus. And in Jesus is all the glory of holy God. Everything created was by him. Everything created was for him. He is our hope. He is our glory. So why do we rejoice in the hope of God's glory? Well, when Jesus comes back to earth, this is what's going to happen. In the last days when Christ comes back, we're going to appear with him and we're going to share in God's glory on that day. We will appear in glory with Christ. We are going to have a glorious appearance about ourselves. Not because you and I deserve it. We will appear in the glory with Christ because of his grace, and we rejoice in the hope because we know that no matter what happens, 
the end is going to be exactly as the scripture says it's going to be. Jesus literally came the first time exactly the way the Bible said he would come. And that gives me all the hope that I need that Jesus will literally return exactly as the Bible says he will. No situation for a believer is hopeless. Number four, another benefit for being a believer is our problems take on a whole new purpose. Now, this is really an exciting principle. It's a real characteristic that marks maturity in a believer. You are mature when you understand the purpose of suffering and you respond accordingly. Verse 3 of Romans 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. You know, he didn't say if. He said when. So it's going to happen. You have already been there. Some of you are there right now. All of us will be there in the future. We will run into problems and trials. He said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help to develop, they help us develop endurance. They help us. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So when I understand this principle, then our, my problems take on a whole new purpose. They're no longer meaningless. They're no longer senseless. Not that God made them happen, but when they show up, I can approach them totally different. You know, the benefit is character development. And, and, and because God is developing me into being like his son, Jesus, and Jesus went through trials. Oh man, the trials he went through. The things he endured. And so when I am faced with trials and problems, the first attitude I should have is, thank you, Lord, that I have an opportunity to develop my character, that you will develop. And, I, and even pray that, Lord, I don't like it. See, it doesn't say rejoice because of them, but rejoice in them. You don't say, Lord, thank you for making things really bad for me right now. But what you say is, Lord, in this difficult trial I'm in right now, thank you in advance for the character qualities you're going to develop in me. Because I'm trusting that you are going to develop in me things that need to be worked on so that I can be more and more like your son, Jesus. That's just a different attitude. One of the benefits of becoming a Christian, you will have the same problems as everybody else. Christians are not exempt from problems. 
But now the problems take on a whole new meaning. Because your suffering produces perseverance. Your perseverance produces character. And your character produces hope. One of the biggest heresies, I think, in Christianity is the misunderstanding and the difference between the in and the because. We rejoice in suffering, not because of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, doesn't make sense sometimes, but we're not driven to despair. So I don't like it. It's not fun. I don't understand it every time, but I'm not driven to despair because of it. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. So God has a purpose even behind the little irritations and problems. God's not the author of these things, but God can take those things, and once you're a believer, God works them for good. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that possible? When I am weak, and I stop trusting in me, then I am strong because I'm trusting in him. Don't say that God is the author of your problems. Don't blame God for your broken car just because you didn't keep up with the maintenance. Don't blame God for your immaturity or your forgetfulness or your laziness. But let God use them for a purpose to build you into being more like his son, Jesus. First Peter chapter one. <clears throat> so be truly glad. There, there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Now, even if it's for the rest of your life, even if you have to deal with an, in, uh, an illness for the rest of your life, compared to eternity, it's a little while. No matter what you're going through, compared to eternity, it's just a little while. It's just a brief moment. So, though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And, and though your faith is far more precious than mere gold... So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Suffering literally means pressure. So rejoice in pressure? Yes. 
because the purpose of pressure, it makes me more like Jesus. James chapter one, verse two and four, two through four. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. See, all these different disciples are saying the same thing because they all experienced it. So when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Needing nothing. You know what lasts forever? The Word of God. I mean, the Bible says the grass withers and the flower flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. People last forever. Either in heaven or hell, people last forever. So this benefit of character development that comes from our problems, it is God's purpose to make you more like his son, Jesus. And that's God's purpose for my life, to build the character of Christ in my life. And that is to be Christ-like. This past week, I was going through some notes, and I found some notes that I had filed away and hadn't seen in quite some time. About 10 years ago, I was visiting with my mom, and, and we were just sitting there talking, and, and I just finally said, hey, mom, you know, mom, I, I don't remember or I don't know everything that my dad went through the last couple of years of his life, because he was you know, in the hospital so much. And I said, you know, tell me, tell me some things about those last few weeks of his life. And, um, and so she was telling me a lot of things, and then she told me this one story. She said, well, the one story that I remember was about his best friend, a guy named J.C. And um, your dad and his best friend at the end of World War II, they were, they were shipped to Japan in the Army. And so they were there for a couple of years. Then they came back, and uh, J.C. decided to stay in the reserves. So when the, when the Korean War happened, he was sent to Korea. And in Korea, he had a horrible experience. You know, um, the, they just weren't prepared for the winters there. And, and uh, he nearly froze to death. And, and it, it brought back a memory that every time we ever visited uh, J.C.'s home, I always remember, I, re- I remember as a kid that the house was always hot, always. And, uh, and now that made sense. He just could not stand the cold whatsoever. And so he just kept everything hot. It affected him that much. And also because of his experience, he, he became a serious alcoholic. And... Um, he didn't, he didn't know Jesus. So in the last few weeks of my dad's life, a lot of people were at the hospital visiting with him, and uh, J.C. was there. 
And my mom said, your dad told all of us to leave except JC. He just asked for everybody to leave the room. And so he, your dad and his best friend spent some time together. And she said in, in that hour, he prayed to receive Christ. And I remember him coming to church and joining our church, being baptized. And then, but the, what was said that really got my attention, she said, my, your dad told me that he said, my illness is worth it if it was just for him. To save that one man's soul, my cancer that's going to take my life is worth it. Wow. Maybe if you started looking at your troubles in your life and started saying, God, if you can use this to allow me to be a better witness of who Jesus is, it's worth it. If you can use my illness as a witness for Christ, it's worth it. If you can use my predicament as a means for me to point people to Jesus, it's worth it. Because people last for eternity. Let's pray.